God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, our text today is going to be taken uh, from the Gospel and the reading of Matthew. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, we come before you this morning, hearing your word and hearing, Lord, today a rather challenging and difficult word for us. So we pray today that as we uh, hear from the Lord Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, that is a a fun gospel reading there this morning. That was a challenging one, so we're going to we're going to get into this today, but who doesn't love a good challenge? This should be, this should be kind of a, uh, a tough one uh, for us here this morning. So we're not going to do a lot of fluff to get into the sermon here today. We're just going to dive right in because we've got a lot of ground uh, to cover here today. We have Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount giving us the law. Jesus gets his hands on the law and gives it to us. And man, it is, it is a tough one uh, to listen to. Before we get into it, let's just make sure we kind of know where we are at in the Gospel of Matthew and what's going on here in the sermon. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is telling us what it means for us to be his disciples. And he starts, remember, by saying we are disciples by his grace alone. God doesn't call the rich, the powerful, the wise, the successful, the capable in the world, but he calls sinners. Those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness because they lack it. He calls sinners into his kingdom and makes us to be his disciples. You and I are blessed because we are saved by his grace alone. Then last week we talked about how as his disciples we are both salt and light. We reflect the light of Jesus to the world around us. And we look to serve him by bringing his mercy with us into the world so others might know of his mercy and his love. And in that conversation, Jesus was showing us how we as his people are to be distinct from the world around us. And now today what he's going to do is he's going to get very practical. Sort of last week it was much more general. But today he's going to be very specific and very practical of what it means for us to be his followers. What it looks like for us to follow his law in this world. And so Jesus is going to teach us very specifically about God's law and what God means by his law. Now, as we hear the commandments from Jesus today, you're going to notice that three things are going to be happening. First, that when Jesus gives you the law, the first thing you'll see is that Jesus is telling you God's will for your life in this world, how you are to conduct yourself. And he will say that this is going to reap rewards. If you do it well, things will go well for you. But if you don't, there will be difficulty, there will be hardship, there are threats here. So it sort of is there to sort of keep us in line. Second thing you will notice is that those threats are quite terrifying because as you hear Jesus preach the law, you will recognize your own sin. It is going to accuse you. It's going to expose your sin in your life. And that's always a hard thing for us to hear. Then the third thing that this uh, law will do is that it will guide us. It will show us how we are to conduct ourselves against the sin that continues to pop up in our lives, even as uh, disciples of Jesus. Now, this might sound familiar to you if you were ever in a Lutheran confirmation class, or if you've ever been in any class with me. We talk about this as the three uses of the law. This is always what the law is doing. 
It functions as a curb, as a sort of keep us in line with threats and promises. It functions as a mirror to expose our sins to us. Uh, and then finally, it functions as a guide to show us the direction we must go, how we must conduct ourselves as we fight against uh, the sin that is always around us. Now, to get into this uh, law then, Jesus in showing us this law is going to focus us in on three particular laws from the Old Testament. If you think of the Ten Commandments, he's going to emphasize three of them today. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, with a little function, uh, with a little, little discussion there uh, on divorce, uh, and then finally, uh, you shall not bear false witness. And he's going to talk to us about how these things are to sort of play out in our lives. And what we're going to notice from Jesus today is that when he gives us these commandments, these laws, God is not merely interested in our outward performance of the law. To be sure, the outward performance matters. The outward performance of the law is good. It, it helps society grow and thrive, and it's a positive thing for the world around us. But when God gives us the law, he's not merely concerned with our performance, but with our person. Not just the work of our hands, but also the feelings in our heart, the thoughts in our minds, the words that come out of our mouth. The law of God demands the whole person. It seeks to control all of you, to be in charge of every aspect of your life, thought, word, deed, and even your feelings. Because what the law is, is a description of how God has designed you to exist. It's, it's, a, it's a description of God's will for our life in this world. And when we look at the law, what we learn is this, is that God has created us for love. We're created to have peace and unity with one another. We are created to give of ourselves and work for the good of our neighbor. And anything that works against that love, anything that works against that peace, that unity, Anything that works against our neighbor is ultimately working against God's will and is a violation of his law. This is what we call sin. The law is given to show us how we are to conduct ourselves in love. Sin, what that is, is the breaking of that law and working against our neighbors and against uh, God's law. All right. And so, to show how this sin brings division, where the law is sort of showing us how God's love brings unity, Jesus gives us these three laws to look at. And he gives us sort of the perfect example of what it looks like when things go against God's law and his design and his creation by talking today about divorce. And I think it's interesting if we start with the text about divorce and then apply it to the rest of the verses, uh, if we begin to see the problem of sin and working against God's law. So, so divorce is the perfect example of what it looks like to work against God's law. Here's what Jesus says about divorce today. He says this, It was said, whoever divorces his wife, let her give her a certificate of divorce. In the Old Testament, Moses made allowances for divorce among the people, and this is what he's referring to. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So that's an easy one. Um, Jesus starts here, and this to be very clear on this, Jesus is saying divorce is a sin. It is a problem. It is a bad thing. Now, I know exactly what happens in our mind. We hear this verse, and where do we go? 
what about? Right? We immediately run to the exception. What about adultery? What about abandonment? What about abuse? What about those kinds of situations? And to be sure, there are times when divorce becomes necessary in extreme situations, such as Jesus says here with sexual immorality, when, when, when your spouse cheats on you, uh, when your spouse is abusive towards you, and these sorts of things. But what we need to understand is that what Jesus is saying here today is that those are the exceptions and they are indication that things are working against God's will because God did not design marriage and God did not create marriage. And by the way, for our society, that's a pretty important line right there. God created marriage. It's not a social construct. This is God's thing that he created and he designed. And when he did it, he did it for unity, for love, for the mutual building up of one another. Not so that you could feel good, and when you stop feeling good, you could leave it. There are extreme situations, but they are the exception to the rule. In fact, this is a great big discussion in Jesus' day among the rabbis. Uh, there were some rabbis who, like Jesus said, there are really no reasons ever to get a divorce except for these exceptional times. But then there were other rabbis who would say something like this. Now remember, in Jesus' day, women could not divorce their husbands. It was only husbands who could divorce their wives. And there were some rabbis who would say, listen, if she burns the food, get another wife. <laughs> we laugh at this. We look at this we're like, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, that's absurd. And we think that somehow our society is better. It's not. We say things like this. Oh, we were young and foolish and we grew apart and it was just time to move on. That's the devil's comfort right there. See, divorce is not allowed the kingdom of God. Apart from the exceptions to the rule, the goal of marriage is not divorce. The goal of marriage is unity, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman coming together to love one another, to when it's God's will, to have children, and to build up a beautiful life together and to impact the world in this way in a loving and joyful way. I love the way we actually say this in our, in our wedding liturgy, if you ever go to a wedding here at the church, you will hear this. This is the way uh, marriage is described. It says marriage is the union of a husband and wife in heart, body, and mind, and is intended by God for their mutual joy. What a wonderful verse, line. For the help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity, and when it is God's will, for the procreation of children and their nurture in the knowledge and the love of the Lord. He here is union, working together. I love that word, mutual joy. The goal of marriage is mutual joy, the giving of yourself to another person, the sacrificing of yourself in love to the other person for their benefit, their sake, for the building up of them. Mutual joy together. Divorce obviously works against it. And it's not God's will. It's not God's plan. What God designed was for things to be brought together. I loved Rachel's children's message today. Rachel does good children's messages. That one might be my favorite. It was very good. What these things go together, and God's goal here in our relationships in this world is for us to be together in love, unity, building up, supporting mutual joy. All right, so that's the test case, divorce and marriage. And now apply that sort of thinking to all these other relationships Jesus talks about. 
He says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. So what is he talking about here? The relationship you have with other people around you. And in those relationships, Christ has placed you there to build up, to strengthen, to love and serve and care in all the vocations that you have been given. Mutual joy, in a certain sense, is the goal. So if you have a relationship that is broken because of bitterness, because bitterness has taken root, and you are wrong in the way that you have handled it, Jesus says, don't alleviate the pain by gossiping and slandering. Don't alleviate the pain by going to church and bad-mouthing the person that you are at odds with so that everybody's on your side and they look bad. Obviously, Jesus says, you shouldn't go out and kill them in cold blood. I don't know if Jesus needs to say that. That one should be hopefully obvious to all of us here today. But he says, it's equally murderous and problematic and devastating to gossip, to slander, to accuse, and to attack. So instead of going to church and gossiping about the person that hurts you or the person that you have hurt to sort of make yourself look good, Jesus says, before you go to church at all, sprint over to their house. Speed in your He doesn't say speed in your car because that's breaking the law and that's a whole other conversation. But get to them as quickly as you possibly can and repent of your sins. Seek their forgiveness. Reconcile with them before the devil takes over and your bitterness leads you to the judgment of God. When there's a broken relationship, our call in Christ, whatever relationship it might be, our call in Christ is to pursue reconciliation, forgiveness, healing, and wholeness. The world doesn't work this way. The world wants to lord itself over others. The world wants to feel bad about itself. It wants, it wants to uh, um, be the victim. Christ says, no, we reconcile. We pursue forgiveness. At great cost. He then applies that thinking to the issue of lust. If you're prone to lust, Jesus says, it's probably better for you to just cut off your hand and pluck out your eye. Very practical advice from Jesus here today. Uh, now notice here, Jesus is not saying specifically, uh, or we should not take Jesus literalistically here and say, Jesus thinks that if we mutilate our bodies, we've got a better shot of getting into heaven. That's not what he's saying. Martin Luther has a great line here. He says, Luther says, if, uh, if it required us to remove parts of our body in order to enter in the kingdom of heaven, we'd be in great trouble because we would all have to remove our hearts. And that's the problem here. The hand isn't merely the problem, it's, it's the heart. So we don't want to sort of take Jesus too literalistically, but we also don't want to use that to sort of undermine what he's saying here. Jesus is using an extreme example to let you know that sometimes extreme measures are necessary when it comes to sin in your life. There are things that when Christ is calling us to come together, get in the way of those things, get in the way of that unity. And those are the things that we need to separate ourselves from. Those are the things that need to be cut off from our lives. Yes, sometimes by extreme measures. If you see somebody that you are attracted to, you need to understand that that person doesn't exist as an object of your pleasure. But that is someone that God has created for you to love and to care for depending on your relationship with them. But we see that this sort of commandment is violated everywhere in our society. Think of the poison of pornography that is just, that is just seeped into our culture. What that is is a sort of dehumanizing abuse of someone who was created by God and in his image for the perverted pleasure of others. Jesus is saying to you today, if you have that sin in your life, 
If that is something that you are struggling with or fighting against or even embracing, you need to cut it off. You need to get out of it. It might mean that you cannot be on the internet after certain times of the day. It might mean that you cannot be on the internet unless you're at work doing your job. You need to get rid of that stuff. It, it, this is what he means, I think, very practically. If you're somebody who struggles with pornography, the first thing you need to do is call your pastor this week and sit down with me so I can give you confession and absolution. Because that thing's going to get in and it is going to wreck your conscience and it is going to cause you to have all kinds of shame and it's going to cause you to doubt, and this is the real problem of sin, it causes you to doubt whether or not God could love a sinner like you and you need to know that your sins are forgiven. So you need to come talk to me about that. But then you need help. You need support. You need somebody to come alongside of you to help you fight against that thing before it poisons everything in your life. That's the first thing. Maybe you, got, maybe you don't struggle with that, but you do have this issue at work where you have someone you work with who is not your spouse and they are married to someone else or not married, kind of doesn't matter, but you flirt too much. You've pushed the line. You've pushed boundaries just a little bit too much to enter into compromising situations. That relationship, Jesus would say, needed to end yesterday. You may have to work with them, but you don't have to go anywhere beyond that. And maybe what that means for you tomorrow is ending that sort of thing. Lest you ruin more relationships around you. Because that sort of activity gets in there. And it begins to create separation and division and pain in the lives of the people that Christ has given you to love. Hey, let's do another one. Then he talks about, oh, there's more. Pastor Matt said for his sermon this week, he was going to say, and also this, like this, there's, some, there's more. <laughs> Jesus just won't lay off. What about when it comes to, oh, do not bear false witness. Don't go to court and lie. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your words be trustworthy. Did anybody... <laughs> This one might get me in trouble. Probably not. We'll see. Uh, did anybody watch the State of the Union this past week? Jo don't show a hand. Don't give me that. All right. I did not watch it, just so you know. But here's what's begun to bug me about State of the Union addresses. And this is not, this is not one side versus the other. This is just the general reality. What's begun to disturb me about the State of the Union address uh, is the afterward uh, part when you have what's called the fact checkers. All right? Now, fact checkers... I know that these are important. I know why we have the fact checkers. I see the value in them. It is important for us to make sure we're holding our leaders accountable and that they're telling us the truth. But here's the problem. My problem is that they have to exist at all. Because when you look at a fact checker, that means that we don't trust what our leaders say. And sometimes that might be deserved. And sometimes it might not be deserved. But how do we even know the difference anymore? Because we have fact checkers who are calling into question literally everything that is said. And now you have to start asking yourself this question. How do we know the fact checkers are telling us the truth? Who's checking on the fact checkers? And who's checking on the fact checkers that are checking on the fact checkers? And it's really hard to say fact a whole lot in the same sentence. Who's doing it? Suddenly we don't have any sense of trust. And what we have right now, what we're witnessing in our society, is this complete lack of trust of anybody. And it's this sort of morass of doubt and skepticism. And Jesus is saying to us today, not in my church. That's not how you are to speak. If you have a fact checker following you around, Jesus says, they need to come up with nothing to question. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you speak, the truth comes out of your mouth because you belong to a God who when he speaks, he creates reality, who is the truth. Your words reflect the truth. We don't look like the society around us where we manipulate information to gain advantage. You speak the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, that's all for today, friends. <laughs> this is what happens when Jesus gets his hands on the law. I always love it when people say, I don't like all the miracle stuff. I just like the moral teachings of Jesus. You're like, have you read them? Jeez. Jesus gets his hands on the law and he shows us how God intends his creation to work. And he's certainly here giving us guidance on how to conduct a better way of life. But who here right now is not feeling accused? Who here can listen to the words of Jesus and say, yep, I'm pulling it off. I must be the righteous one. If you're doing that, you're not paying attention. When Jesus says this, listen to this line. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. If that verse doesn't terrify you before God, you don't understand the depth of your sin. See, this is the way it is with the law. Even as Jesus is using it to guide us, he's also exposing the fact that we're sinners, and that we need a Savior. So that there is yet one more thing left to be said about the law today. And it goes back to a word that Jesus spoke to us last week in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, I have not come to eliminate the law, but to fulfill it. So what you need to hear today is even though, and even as I should say, Jesus is completely serious in telling you how you are to conduct your life in this world, you also need to hear that the law has been kept. And it has been kept by Jesus for you. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. Jesus comes not, to, not with sort of murderous intention. Jesus could come with complete justice to execute judgment upon us and punish us for our sin. But instead, Jesus does the opposite and he comes to die for you and I who have sinned against him and to give us the forgiveness of our sins. He's done this even for you who have slandered and said evil and hurtful things. You give those sins to Jesus so Jesus can speak to you and say your sins are forgiven. He has done this for his bride, the church. You know, the scriptures speak of Jesus' bride as being the church, that he does have a spouse to whom he is completely faithful. He was crucified for his bride. He died for our unfaithfulness that he might wash us in his blood so that you and I would be presented to him holy and pure and clean. And that is true for you. Yes, even you who have been divorced. Even you who commit sexual immorality. Your sins are forgiven on account of Christ Jesus. How do I know this? Because he's baptized. And he is, is a word that you can trust he doesn't need a fact checker. In your baptism, his yes for you was yes. And his no to your sin was no. And he has made you his own. For you see, Jesus comes, gives you a better way of life, but also fulfills that for you. And he fulfills the law. For he is your only hope in this world. 
He is the one who loves you. He is the one who reconciles you to God and one another. And he is the one who alone gives you the peace the world and the law simply cannot give. Amen. We pray. Lord Jesus, we pray. First, we praise you that you have fulfilled the law on our behalf. That our sins are forgiven and we are declared righteous all because you credit us with your own righteousness. But Lord, we confess to you today that we are continuing to battle against sin in our lives does not seem to go away. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our feelings seem beyond our control to help. So Lord, forgive us for such things. Grant us your mercy. And we pray that you would strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit to stand firmly against sin, to fight against it, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, even as you, Jesus, graciously love us unto eternity. In your name we pray. Amen. Having heard the word of